And you can turn over in your Bibles to uh, Luke, Luke chapter 17 tonight. Luke chapter 17. Well, let's open a word of prayer and then we'll get, we'll get started. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you that we can gather around your word as believers and, and fellowship one with another and, and discuss our week so far. And Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Uh, so far this week, and pray tonight would be a blessing to our hearts as we see how you bless us in so many ways, and as we approach uh, Thanksgiving Day, Father, it's good to kind of reflect on how you've blessed each one of us, and uh, sometimes we uh, forget that, and, and Lord, so it's a good reminder tonight, and Lord, we pray for each one that's here, pray that your word would uh, penetrate their hearts, or minds, and that you would do your work through the power of your, your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for those who are visiting with us tonight. Pray that they would uh, feel welcome here and, and, and really sense the presence of Christ here in this place. Lord, we also <coughs> continue to pray for Inga and her family and Paul. And uh, She lost her brother uh, last Sunday and just pray that you would um, guide her through this time of grief and minister to her heart. We also um, think of uh, Yvonne and uh she went through um, surgery this, mor- this morning to uh, remove uh, a tumor from her brain, and, and it seems like she's doing well. And so on a road to recovery, and just thank you for the doctors and their diligence. And we just pray that you would uh, help her in her recovery. And Lord, pray that she would be a, uh, just a wonderful testimony um, for you there in Stanford Hospital as she, as she recovers. And we pray for others too, Lord who may be dealing with uh, different things. Uh, you know exactly what's going on in everybody's lives, and, and we commit those to you. And we pray now that you just uh, help us to focus our hearts and minds on your word as we uh, spend this time together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all tonight. I want to talk a little bit tonight about responding to God's blessings. Responding to God's blessings. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Luke 17, and uh, I'm reminded of a story of a man who was uh, lost in the woods, and he was describing to his friends how frightened he was. It was night, it was cold, it was dark, and he got so frightened, he finally kneeled down and he prayed, and he asked God to help him, and one of his friends asked him, they said, well, did, did God answer your prayer? And he said, no, not really. He goes, uh, I, uh, a tour guide came by and, and got me out of there before God could help me. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's kind of miss, you know, overlooking God's blessing there. And you know what? A lot of times, you know, we're like that individual. Uh, God has blessed us in so many different ways. And yet, like that man a lot of times we're almost blind to the blessings that God has given to us in our own lives. And, you know, you think about it, you awake in the morning, you get up this morning, and uh, I was at the airport early, and I was driving home from the airport early, and I'm seeing the sun come up. It's just beautiful. You know, that's a blessing. That's a blessing from God. Not only that you have a sunset to look at, but you have eyes that can see the sunset, right? Um, but so many people look at things like that and never, ever think of giving God any kind of thanks. Or you walk around the neighborhood and you hear the birds chirping in the tree, whatever it might be. 
And we overlook so many things because our senses have grown dull uh, to the things of God and his blessings. Um, a lot of people complain about their jobs. And yet, there's so many people without jobs. They don't have any jobs at all. Uh, maybe they don't have strength in their body even to, to work. Um, and, and, and we forget about things. People complain about their lack of money. And yet, probably if they were honest and sat down and looked at what they spent their money on, most of us probably spend more on lattes and Starbucks and entertainment each month than a lot of people have for a whole year in some parts of the world. And so whether you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ here tonight or you're just a, a person here who's trying to look for more information or maybe you don't believe in God at all, the fact is that God has still blessed you. He's blessed you with what we call common grace. Beautiful day today. Sun shined on you, shined on me. Shined on believers, it shined on unbelievers. Um, and I think that we have to stop, especially as Christians, and realize that God has, has blessed us far more than we realize, but also far more than what? We deserve. <laughs> that's really, the, that's really the, the truth. And it's important to understand how to respond to these abundant blessings that God has given us. And I thought, you know, it's coming up on Thanksgiving. You know, I know we're thankful. We have thankful hearts to the Lord and, and all that. But um, sometimes we're oblivious to the fact that, that God is either blessing us or even worse, we take credit <laughs> for the blessings that he gives us. You know, we think that it's, it's us. It's, it's our hard work. It's all this. We're doing this. We're doing that. And we don't give the glory to God. That's, that's even worse. I think the only proper response is to glorify him from uh, a, a thankful heart, being thankful for what the Lord has done. So with that in mind, I want to read Luke chapter 17. And this, you know, you're, you're, you're probably very familiar. I've taught on this before with the, the uh, lepers and, uh, and Jesus healing them. Um, the ten lepers, but follow along beginning in verse 11. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. He is Jesus. That's who we're talking about. He's met by these ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So we see in this text two 
responses to God's blessing. In this case, healing, miraculous healing. We see a proper response and we see an improper response. And they're illustrated for us in this story that Jesus tells of these ten lepers. And, and the story says only one leper, who was a Samaritan, <laughs> a foreigner, uh, only one of them responded properly to the Lord's blessing. And so he's teaching us here that we should respond to God's blessings by glorifying him at Jesus' feet with thankful hearts or from thankful hearts. And so here's Jesus in this text, and he's going through um, the countryside. He's proceeding toward Jerusalem. That's what, where he's headed. And um, he's going to meet <clears throat> as an appointment there. Uh, and he's traveling somewhere along the border. He's doing this border walk between Samaria and Galilee. And he enters this village, and he's encountered by these ten leprous men. And according to the law, what, 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 what the law of the day said and God's word said is they have to keep their distance from people because, you know, I mean, if they, if they, they have this, this disease and they were to announce themselves as unclean as they walk down the street, they were uh, set out of society, uh, they couldn't own a business, they couldn't do a lot of things that normal people could do because they had this, this leprosy. And um, even though they were keeping their distance, they did recognize who was coming. Um, it says that he was met by ten lepers. So either they heard that he was coming, or possibly they, they saw him coming with his entourage, and they thought, wow, we, this is the guy that's healed other people. Um, we, we think that <coughs> we need to approach the, him. And they recognize him, and what do they do? They cry out for mercy. Um, and it almost seems cold in a way <laughs> what Jesus does here. It says, verse 13, he lifted up their voices, they lifted up their voices and saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, the one thing you have to understand about leprosy is that it affects the whole body. It affects even things like vocal cords. So if you have leprosy, you can't <clears throat> talk like I'm talking to you tonight. It would be more like this, like a raspy, almost like someone's demon-possessed. It would sound odd. It would sound strange to hear someone speak to you with leprosy. And so here are these guys crying out to Jesus for mercy. And in Luke 5, 13... He reaches out and he touches uh, the leper there. But here he doesn't do that. It says that, verse, verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. That's it. Not how you're doing. How's your day going? Man, sorry you got this horrible disease. Let me heal you. Nothing. It seems cold, doesn't it? It'd be like if, you know, you came up to me and said, hey, you know what, I'm going in for surgery in the morning. Would you, would you mind praying for me? Sure. And just walk away. You'd be like, what? You're not going to pray right now? I mean, you, it would be very cold-hearted if I did that. 
Um, that's how, it seems like that's how Jesus responds here. He doesn't draw near to them. He doesn't touch them in any way. He doesn't heal them instantaneously. He simply instructs them to what? You know what? Go show yourselves to the priests. Just an odd, odd response. Because there'd be no point in such action. There'd be no point in these lepers going to the priests unless they were cleansed of their leprosy. Because the priests was not like they were not like Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid of people with leprosy. He healed people with leprosy. He would touch people with leprosy. They were viewed as being unclean. So you weren't supposed to be anywhere near them. And so if you had leprosy and you approached the priest, I guarantee you the priest would not, hey, come on in, you know, yeah, put your, he, he, would, he would slam the door in your face. So what are you doing? You're breaking protocol. This isn't right. And yet at this point, they were not cleansed. Um, they had to act. They had to, they, had to, they had to act in faith based upon what Jesus said. I'm sure they heard about Jesus. They knew who he was. They addressed him as such. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they're making a request that they must believe that he can fulfill. But at the same time, they had to act in obedient faith. It's like telling someone, you know what? If you cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ... Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God, and you know that Jesus is the only way, the only answer for the forgiveness of your sins. If you realize that, and you cry out to God, what is that? That's, that's a step of faith. That's obedient faith. That's what the gospel is. You can't just hear the gospel. That's not going to save you. How do I know that? Because a lot of people hear the gospel, right? I mean, when you witness, you're sharing the gospel with a lot of people. Some of you have probably heard the gospel years before you actually, what? Obeyed the gospel. You put your faith, your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. So just hearing the gospel isn't good enough. <clears throat> and that's what apparently they understood here. And it says, as they were going, they were, they were cleansed. But only one of them, who was a Samaritan, turns back to give God the glory and thank the Lord for his mercy and for his power. Uh, the strong implication here is that the other nine were Jews. So, a Jew being around a Samaritan, that usually doesn't fly, especially in their culture. Um, they didn't have any kind of respect for each other. And so it was their sickness, really, that brought them together. It was their sickness of leprosy that showed them that, you know what, we know you're a Samaritan, but you are one of us, so we'll welcome you into the group here. But it's interesting that only the, the Samaritan came back to thank the Lord. Uh, and it says here that He was a, a foreigner. And it's really accentuating the idea that Jesus' own people, right, the people of Israel, they were the ones that rejected 
they rejected their own Messiah, who was one of them. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's exactly what they did. And unfortunately, to this day, they're still rejecting the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. Jews do not believe that. It's only when they call upon the Lord to be saved and they recognize Christ as their, their Savior that they are saved. The, we call them Messianic Jews. They, they, they realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And they repent of their sins and they turn to Christ. And it's almost like this, this illustrates you know what, it's, it's nine to one. <laughs> Most Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah. And, and that's what, what it kind of has here is nine Jews, one Samaritan. It's only the Samaritan that comes back to thank the Lord. And he's showing us here that the way of salvation is open to everybody. It's open to everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's irrelevant. When Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who are weak, heavy laden, burdened, thirsty. That's what he means. Everybody. That, that gospel invitation that Jesus gives is a legitimate invitation. Now in our theology, we know that Ephesians and in other places, it tells us that God, before the foundation of the world, what did he do? He selected us to be saved. He chose us to be saved. He, he elected us. And so some people say, well, if you go out and you share the gospel message, is that a legitimate offer of salvation? Yes, it is. It has to be. Because if it wasn't, when Jesus gave those invitations that were very wide and open, all you who are, are hungry, all you who are thirsty, you come after me, um, they wouldn't have been legitimate. That would have made Jesus illegitimate. And so how does that work with the idea that we were, that God has selected certain people to be saved? And yet, the invitation is open to all. I don't have an answer for that. I'm just raising that question. That's far above our pay grade. But as many as received the temporary benefits from the Lord, like these nine, they received that healing, right? That's what they were looking for. They were looking for healing. They weren't looking for a Savior. They were looking for healing. And when they got their healing, what did they do? They went on their way. Only one came back to thank the Lord. And so just because the Lord is blessing your life with blessings, you could be in a position that you're in danger of missing that which you need most. What? The salvation of your own soul. Um, and so I want to look at four quick lessons here that we can pull out of this story. And the first one is we should all see ourselves as these lepers were. And this is kind of humbling, but it's true, that we're unclean before God and man. We're unclean. We're all, we're all you know what, we're all in the same boat. We all have sin. 
in our lives. We all have sin in our heart. We were all born into sin. <clears throat> and you have to understand, in, in the Bible, leprosy was a dreaded disease. And it was a picture, a picture of sin. That's alluded to in our text by the fact that the lepers are cleansed. <laughs> right? The idea that they were cleansed, they need to be cleansed from something. Well, it's the same picture for us. We all need to be cleansed from sin. And uh, leprosy basically rendered uh, an individual ceremonially unclean. Uh, so that if you were, were healed of leprosy, you couldn't just go on with your life. You had to have an appointment with the priest, and they had to inspect you, and they had to go through this extensive ritual of making sure that you were cleansed of your leprosy before you could ever be welcomed back into society, before you could ever be welcomed back into your, your synagogue or your church, before you could ever be welcomed back into your religious community for worship. Leviticus 14 points this out, that there was a whole list of things you had to do. And so in the Bible, leprosy can re, it refers to <clears throat> you know, this disease of, of, of the skin, but it, it takes an awful form. Uh, there's two forms. Uh, one commentary points out. Both start either a white or pink discoloration of a patch of skin. The more benign form is limited to the skin discoloration in a number of places. In even untreated cases, heal from one to, two, uh, one to, two year, or one to three years. But there is another one. There's another case, and this case kind of describes the hideous progression of this worst disease of leprosy. It might begin with a little nodule, which turns into kind of an ulcer on your skin, and it starts to discharge this foul stuff. Usually your eyebrows end up falling out. Your eyes become staring. Your vocal cords become ulcerated. You can't speak. You're, you're hoarse. You're breathing begins to wheeze when you breathe. Your hands and your feet are just covered with ulcers and open sores. Um, and the average course of that kind of, of leprosy is nine years. And it, it continues to the point, not just physically, but mentally. There's decay, there's coma. Ultimately, you die. It's a miserable death. I think that it's, it's, it's important to, to, to realize that, you know what, however long it takes you to die of leprosy, it's not a fun, fun journey. I mean, someone described it as a man dying by inches. Just a little bit at a time. And it was horrible. Um, According to Josephus, lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. That's why they just cast them aside. They weren't allowed to participate in anything. Uh, the Mosaic law prescribed that the person be cut off from society, including even his own family. He had to wear torn clothing, which marked him as a leper. He had to have his head uncovered. He had to cover his lips and shout, unclean, unclean, wherever he went. 
to warn everybody to stay away. I mean, they don't have the medical advancements we have today. They didn't understand the whole disease. But it's important to realize that, you know, that's, that's how they dealt with it. So it was, it was kind of like a plague. And Jesus encounters these ten guys who were banded together. Nine of them were Jews. One was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were basically half-breeds. They were uh, a Jew who had married a, a, a Gentile and had a child. And then they were called Samaritans. But they considered them as Gentiles. They had no respect for them at all. They were outcasts. And so to be a Samaritan, but on top of that to have leprosy, <laughs> can you imagine uh, what this individual must have gone through? See, the Bible wants us all to see ourselves in our, in our natural state before Christ, really as, as spiritual lepers in his sight. That's what we are in our sin before we come to Christ. God wants us to see that, as Jeremiah 17.9 points out, that our hearts are what? Are deceitful. They're, they're desperately wicked, the Bible says. They're sick. They're sick with sin. They're unclean before a holy God. And just like this horrible disease of leprosy separated the leper from his community, guess what? Sin separates and ruptures human relationships among family members, among loved ones, and even among, uh, with our God, right? It separates us from our God. And just as God can only heal this, this dreaded disease here, as Jesus does, um, God can only heal that, that disease in our hearts. He's the only one that can forgive our sin. He's the only one that can cleanse us and make us whole. And we need to acknowledge that. But you have to acknowledge you have the disease before you can request to be cleansed from the disease. And so the proud person would refuse to acknowledge their condition as a spiritual leper. Um, and that's probably one of the main reasons why people do not receive God's salvation through Jesus Christ is their own pride, their own arrogance. They're unwilling to bend the knee. They're unwilling to say, you know what, God, I can't do this on my own. I need to acknowledge you as Lord and put my faith, my trust in you and in you alone, not in a, not in a individual, not in a church, not in a, a pastor, not in a priest, not in a pope. In Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. Not in your works. I mean, you know, we're, we're prone to admit that we have our faults, right? I don't think anybody here would say, oh, no, I'm perfect, Steve. Would anybody say that here tonight? No, I don't think so. We would all say, yeah, I, I got some issues, right? We all have baggage. We all have issues. Well, I'm only human, right? We hear that all the time from people. But then they follow it up with this. But you know what? I'm not a terrible sinner. <laughs> well, you just blew it. <laughs> you were doing well, but now you just blew it. Um, I'm basically, what do they say? I I'm a good person. And God says, guess what? No, you're not. 
No, you're not. I mean, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? One. How many things do you have to steal to be a thief? One. I mean, it, do, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. God, God spells it out for us. I mean, why would you need a Savior if you're basically a good person? If you want to trust in that, have at it. But I know you're not a good person. Not because I know you. Some of you I've, I've never met before tonight. But I can tell you, based on the authority of God's word, there are no good people. For all have sinned, the Bible says, right? And fall short of the glory of God. It's very clear. And I'm reminded of, in, in Revelation 3, 17, where, remember the church of Laodicea? The, the lukewarm church, it was called. And, and what did they say about themselves? They said, we are rich. And we have become wealthy. And guess what, God? We have need of nothing. I mean, think about that. In a way, it was probably true. They probably were rich. They probably were wealthy. And they probably didn't need a whole lot of stuff. But you know what? It drips of arrogance. Pridefulness. I mean, to think that you are basically okay in God's sight is, is, a, is a surefire way of, 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 of guaranteeing you won't receive anything from him, including salvation, the most important thing. I mean, if these lepers had thought, you know what, we may be sick, but we're not that bad. I mean, I'm tired of people treating us bad. You know, I'm not that bad. And, you know, yeah, Jesus is coming, but we're not that bad. We don't need to cry. We don't mean to make a big spectacle here. They wouldn't have gotten healed. <laughs> but they did cry out to the Lord. Because why? They knew they were goners without Christ's touch. They knew they were goners unless God supernaturally imposed his power and had mercy on their lives. And see, that's the first step to receiving God's blessing, is to acknowledge your desperate condition before him. You can't come to God saying, yeah, God, I got this. I'll come to church and I'll say a prayer before I eat and do the Christian stuff. But, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm pretty good. And, you know, I'm not going to turn into a Jesus freak. After all, you know, I'm not that bad. If you come with that kind of attitude, you're missing it. You're missing it. You have to come to God with a desperation in your heart that says, you know what, God, if you don't save me, I will be in hell one day. There's no way out of this. If you don't save me, I can't get my feet out of this sin. It's like mud just sucking me down and down and down. And God, I, I, I need you to change my heart, to change my mind, to make me the person you desire me to be in Christ. This leads to the second step here. We should all do as the lepers did. What did they do? They cried out to Jesus, the Master, for mercy. They cried out to Jesus, the Master, for mercy. Um, like I said, it probably wasn't a pretty cry because of the raspy voices. But you know what? They cried out with all their heart because they knew they couldn't go anywhere else. It doesn't matter what the sound of the cry sounds like. It doesn't matter to the Lord. Because 
the gracious Lord will never turn a deaf ear to a cry that's sincere. Every Sunday I'll close my the, the, the service and the message with, you know what? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all you have to do is cry out to Him. Lord, be merciful to what? Me, a sinner. And if that's prayed from a sincere heart, God will save you. God will change you. God will forgive your sin. Why? Because you're doing what they did. You're, you're acknowledging that Christ is the Savior. He is the Master. These men knew Jesus by name, obviously. But they also called him Master, which kind of designates a little bit of authority, wouldn't you say? Uh, and I think we've lost some of that today in our churches. You know, I hear a lot of Christians you know, yeah, Jesus, my buddy up upstairs, you know, he's my buddy, he's my, he's my co-pilot, he's, you know, they come up all with all these, no, he's not. He's your master. I mean, he's the one who created you. We need to have a little respect, a little reverence. What's interesting is Luke is the only gospel to use this word in addressing Jesus. And every other time it is used, it's used by the disciples. And so in uttering this cry, these lepers take their proper place under the lordship of Jesus and under his sovereign authority. So you can't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what, here's my plan for life and I'm going to hold on to this, but I want to trust you for my salvation. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I mean, Jesus said so much in the Gospels. If you want to come after me, what do you have to do? Die to yourself, take up your cross, then, then, then you can follow me. Die to yourself. What's that mean? Die to your own desires. I mean, I'm sure we all have a plan for life. We all have desires. We all have things that we'd like to see happen. But when you come to Christ, what do you do? You put those desires, you put all that aside. And you say, okay, God, here I am. He may give you those desires because the Bible does seem to indicate that he does give us the desires of our heart. But we have to be willing to forsake those desires to come to him. Uh, we must put the Lord Jesus Christ in the proper place as Lord and Master. There's a lot of people that have a struggle with that. They, they criticize, they call it Lordship salvation. No, you don't, you don't need Jesus to be your Lord. He can just be your Savior. You can come to Jesus and, and he'll save you from your sin, but you don't have to obey anything he says. There's people that actually teach this. That, that is not from God. That is not from from the Bible. Um, when you come to Christ, you come to him as master and Lord and Savior. You can't separate them. Um, mercy, like grace, is, is, is it's similar, but it, it's, it's God's undeserved favor. Uh, grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding something we do deserve. And as sinners, what do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the judgment of God. And what is, what is God doing? He's saying, no, I'm going to be merciful to you. I'm going to withhold that based on your faith in Christ. But it also kind of holds on to this thought of compassion in view of the sufferer's condition. You know, when you have mercy on somebody... If you see somebody on the street and, and they're down and out on their luck and 
you know, you walk by. You know, you, you could buy him a sandwich. You could help him out. You could do whatever. Or you could kick him and laugh at him and walk away. You know, one is having mercy, <laughs> helping them, identifying with them, um, looking at their, their, their pitiable condition and saying, oh, boy, this, this person's down on their luck. What, what could I do to show them the love of Christ? And so these men were crying out for mercy because they were acknowledging that, you know what? They didn't deserve healing. They didn't deserve it. They weren't claiming it and naming it, as some say. Um, They weren't there, hey, Jesus, you know, we're lepers, but we're really good lepers. (laughs) We deserve to be healed. We think we're worthy of your healing touch, Lord. They knew that there was nothing within themselves to earn the Savior's healing. And that's the only way we can come to Christ. That's the only way we can come to God to be delivered from the leprosy of sin in our own lives. To acknowledge that what? We deserve God's wrath. We don't deserve his blessing. We deserve his wrath. But we want to appeal to his mercy. God, I know I deserve your wrath, but I pray that you'll give me your grace. You'll show me your mercy. And the good news is, is that the Bible indicates that God delights to show us his mercy and his grace. He delights when someone cries out for those who say, say, Lord, I, I need your grace. I need your mercy in my life. He loves that. He's not a God upstairs that says, no, you know what? No, I don't think so. You're getting judgment instead. No. That's not the God. The God is not here to ruin the party. That's, that's the enemy's lie. He delights in showing mercy and grace to those who cry out for it. He is abounding, Romans 10 says, in riches for all who call upon him. Abounding, it means overflowing. For whoever will call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, it says, will be saved. Whoever. When Moses asked to see God's glory, the Lord passed in front of him and he proclaimed this out of Exodus 34. He says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities and transgressions and sin, and yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth. Uh, generations. See, his holiness demands that he judge sin. Just because God is gracious, just because God is merciful, doesn't mean he gives us a pass. That's, that's what you know, the universalists believe. That's what a lot of the liberal theology believes. Well, you know, God's just, he's all about love, 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 love. We don't talk about God's holiness or his judgment. What, they, what have they done? They recreated God in their own mind so that they could sleep at night. <laughs> that's basically what they've done. But that's not the God of the Bible. The, the God of the Bible is holy, and he demands that sin be judged. But his mercy is a very predominant and leading attribute. And so whatever your, your need is, even here tonight, 
I mean, definitely don't wait. Don't, don't say, well, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him to help you through it. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He wants to do that. Thirdly, we should all respond as these lepers responded with obedient faith, with obedient faith. When Jesus healed this leper in, back in Luke chapter 5, verse 13, he first healed him and then he instructed him to go and show himself to the priest. Like I said, you had to do that. You couldn't get around that step. You had to show yourself to the priest sooner or later or you wouldn't be welcomed back into society. But here, in this text, without any evidence of healing whatsoever, what's he tell him to do? He says, you know what? Uh, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, in their situation, it's kind of similar to Nahum, the, the Syrian. You remember that? When Elisha told him to go and and um, bathe in the Jordan River. Second Kings chapter 5. It was a test of faith. Right? For him to do this. Without any evidence of healing. Uh, I mean you wonder if these ten guys had a debate. You know do we go? I mean we're going to look really stupid. If we show up at the priest. At the temple with the priest. And this, this stuff's not gone. This may not work out in our favor. I mean, then we'll really be condemned because we're breaking the rules, we're breaking the law. Probably one of them said, you know what? But what do we have to lose? Seriously, what do we have to lose? I mean, this guy's healed other people. I mean, I know he hasn't healed us yet, but he told us we should go and show ourselves to the priest so Maybe we should just do what he says. And take the chance of looking like fools. Because you know what? What do we have to lose? I mean, we're outcasts now. Maybe one of them said, you know, it's quite a walk to go see the priest. And my leprous feet hurt a lot. And this is going to be painful to do this. Maybe another one said, you know what, I, I understand, I'm in pain too, but you know what, maybe if we do what this guy says, we'll be healed. And we won't have any pain at all anymore. Another one probably said, but you know what, this is how he healed the other guy in chapter 5. Why isn't he doing the same thing here? Why doesn't he heal us the same way? Well, eventually they concluded, I don't know, but let's just obey him. Let's just do what he says. Let's just do what Jesus, the master, says. I mean, we don't know if they had that kind of talk or not, but I'm sure they did. They were humans. And look at what it says. As they were going, as they were going, what? They were cleansed. I don't know if it happened to them all at the same instance, or at the first one, and then the other one. I mean, you can imagine this conversation, right? They're walking to the priest, they're going to the temple, and all of a sudden, by the Lord's power, they're being restored to perfect health after living with this dreaded disease. I really believe if they had lost fingers, because that's what happens with leprosy, if they had lost toes to this disease, all of a sudden, boom, they were there. They were healed. They were restored. All the devastating effects of this terrible disease that they had all these years was completely erased. 
It must have been an incredible, incredible, blessed experience. Only one man who returned to give thanks to Jesus. There's only one. And a lot of people argue that was the only one that most likely was spiritually saved. The other ones may have been physically saved. They were healed from this total devastating disease, which is a blessing in and of itself, but they, they missed the forest of the trees. The cleansing of these lepers pictures what God does to souls who call upon him for salvation. This is what it's picturing for us. He instantly cleanses us from all of our sin. Just stop and start making a list of the sins that you've committed this week. <laughs> I'm sure we both, all of us, could fill up pages, right? If we really sat down and prayed about it and thought about it, they're gone. They're, we're cleansed. He clothes us, the Bible says, in the perfect righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He restores us. He heals our souls. The only condition to receive God's healing for our leprous souls is that we take him at his word. We believe the word of God. John 3.16, whoever believes in his son will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Because he loved the world. And just as these lepers did not <laughs> try to clean themselves up first, doesn't indicate that. They, they, they saw Jesus come and they didn't say, well, you know, we look pretty bad, maybe we should fix our... Nope. They presented themselves as they were. Transparency, right? That's how we're to come to Christ. We used to sing a chorus... Come just as you are. And that's so true. You come to Christ just with all your warts, with all your sins, with, with all the everything. And you, you bring it to him and you, you, you throw it at his feet and say, God, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. But in faith, I'm trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ died for this big mess. Deal with it. And he will. He'll forgive you. And just as these lepers did not just believe intellectually, but they actually had faith, even though I don't believe all of them were believers, but they did have some kind of faith to obey the words of the Savior because they did what he said. They went and they showed themselves to the priest, and as they were gone, they were healed. The same thing with us. We have to ex exercise our own personal obedient faith to the gospel, and then we'll be saved from our sins. But even though, in one sense, all ten lepers illustrate saving faith and that they took Jesus at his word, they acted upon it personally. In another sense, nine of them fell short of saving faith. There's a lot of people in the church today that got what they wanted from God in terms of, you know, healthy bank accounts and healthy bodies and healthy marriages and they stop there. They don't go any further than that. They never return back to the Savior to receive salvation for their souls, which is most critical, I would think. 
I mean, you're not going to take anything with you when you go. But your soul is eternal. So you really have to stop and ask yourself, wow, what, what am I investing in? They receive the temporal benefit of having their bodies healed. But there was only one thankful leper who returned that our Lord proclaimed there in verse 19. Your faith has made you well. Literally, in the original language, has saved you. Has saved you. See, it's, it's possible to receive spiritual blessings, special blessings from God in answer to prayer, such as healing, and yet fall short of the best blessing of all, salvation. So we have to realize that God has blessed us with some temporal blessings, but don't be satisfied with that. Don't be satisfied with that. Don't stop there. Ask God to save your soul, which is eternal. And then fourthly here, we should all respond as the one leper did. We should respond glorifying God at the feet of Jesus with thankful hearts. The thankful leper represents the full fruit, the complete salvation of saving faith. And that's lips that give joyful thanks to his name. Um, the fact that this man was a Samaritan shows that the way of salvation is open to all who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a special elite group. It's everybody. Jesus calls him a, a foreigner. It's the only occurrence of that word here in the New Testament. That's the only place it's found. A word that was on the signs prohibiting uh, foreigners from passing the inner barrier of the temple. Paul tells us that Christ, what he do? He broke down that barrier, right? He broke down the dividing wall so that we who were formerly ex excluded from the blessing of God have now brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2. And notice that this, this leper's praise, it, it was heartfelt. He says in verse 15 there, praising God with what? What's it say? A loud voice. He wasn't ashamed. He was proud. He was, he was excited. He was loud about what God is doing in their life. You know, we, I think we need more Christians with loud voices, frankly. We have too many Christians that are, you know, whispering in the corner because they're too afraid to offend everybody with the message of Christ. We've been silenced by political correctness. I mean, it's time for Christians to stand up and say, no more. No more. I mean, this is a life and death situation for many souls. We, we don't have the luxury of, of whispering the gospel anymore. We should be shouting it and living it boldly before a lost and dying world. I bet it felt good for him to say those words loudly. Probably for the first time 
the raspiness and the harshness and the, the pain that was caused in his, his vocal cords as he would try to, when he cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It probably hurt him to do that. But now he's, he's proclaiming boldly. He's praising God with a loud voice and he's realizing, wow, the pain is no longer there. There's no reason not to be loud. There's no reason to be embarrassed about my voice anymore. Because Jesus had healed him. And he was excited and he's going to make that known. The leper's glad praise should be that of every person whose heart has been healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify God. Those words are used in verse 15. Praising God. And then also down in verse um, 18. Giving glory or praise to God. Um, when we praise God, it's, it's really to extol his, his, lift up His attributes, lift up His actions. That's what we're doing. It's to exalt Him. To let others know how great He is. The Puritans rightly stated, the chief end of man is to what? Glorify God. That's what, that's what we're created to do. And enjoy Him forever on account of His blessings of salvation toward us who deserved His judgment. Um, Spurgeon points out that while ten men prayed, I like this, only one praised. <laughs> the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon. While ten men prayed, only one praised. He says that even so, there are far more who are prone to pray in a time of need than to praise God when He meets that need. Oswald Chambers said this, The great difficulty spiritually is to concentrate on God. And it is His blessings that make it difficult. Troubles nearly always make us look to God. His blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. You know, when we're blessed, when things are going well in our lives, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not spending a lot of time on my knees asking God for help. But that's wrong. We need to acknowledge our dependence on Him. If the Lord has delivered our souls from judgment, we ought to let others know about it. We ought to proclaim that. You know, praise the Lord is not just a little, you know, PLT on your, or, or PTL on your, on your text, right? I mean, you know, we put that on there. I, I used to put that on people. Always, what is that? What's that mean? Why do you always put that? It's not just a slogan, right? What is it? It's a command. As believers, we're commanded to praise the Lord. And if our lives are not marked by frequent praise to God for his many blessings, um, then we're not being obedient, honestly. And we need to repent. Um. Do you know that prayer will last only for this life? When we leave this life, we won't be praying anymore. 
we'll be in the presence of God. There'll be no need for prayer. But we will be praising him because praise will continue throughout all eternity. I also notice here he's at Jesus' feet. Uh, I doubt if he understood the deity of who Jesus was, but nonetheless, he took the proper place of worship at his feet. In John 5.23, Jesus said this, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, we can't properly glorify God if we don't fall in adoration at Jesus' feet. He's the eternal God who willingly left the glory of heaven to come to this sinful earth and to what? To suffer, to die for us on a cruel cross. And so we should be willing to spend much time at his feet, thanking him. Um, the man's position here in the text shows his face at Jesus' feet. It shows the proper, what, attitude of humility. I mean, we owe everything to him. Think about it. Everything. We claim nothing is coming from ourselves. So this leper wasn't trying to maintain his dignity. He wasn't concerned about his own self-esteem. He wasn't concerned about what people were looking and seeing what he was doing. He wasn't come back to Jesus and said, well, thanks, Jesus, you did your part. Now I'm doing mine. He didn't do that. (laughs) He knew that he had been healed supernaturally, totally because of Jesus' mercy. And so he was readily at Jesus' feet. And that's where every saved person should camp out. And then also with thankful hearts, we see that in verse 16. The leper was giving thanks to him. Um, There's a tribe in West Africa. They have a very unusual way of saying thank you. They bow. They put their forehead on the ground. And they say, my head is in the dirt. In their own language. That's their way of saying thank you. Thank you. Um, Another African tribe expresses gratitude by sitting for a long time in front of the hut of the person who did the favor and saying, literally, I sit on the ground before you. That's humility. That's what Thanksgiving is. And so Thanksgiving is an act of, of humility. It acknowledges our debt to another person. Jesus was pleased, obviously, with his expression of thanks. But he was grieved also, was he not? By the absence of the other, the other nine. He asked the question, where are the other nine? I mean, I, I think there was ten of you guys I healed. Hebrews chapter 13 says this in, in verses 15 to 16. It says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips. And give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. See, every day we should wake up with our hearts filled with thanksgiving, filled with gratitude for all that the Savior has done for us and continues to do for us. Knowing that we were mere spiritual lepers without any hope of healing outside of Christ. I'll close with this. Thirteen years before his conversion, John Wesley had a conversation late one night with a porter of his college, and it, it, it really struck him in the heart. It convinced him that there was more to Christianity than he had found as of yet. 
And Wesley discovered that the man had only one coat and that nothing had passed his lips that day except a drink of water. And yet his heart was full of, of gratitude to God. And Wesley couldn't just help himself. He said, you know what? You thank God when you have nothing to wear? And you thank God when you have nothing to eat? And you thank God when you have no bed to lie upon? What else do you thank him for? And the porter said, I thank him that he has given me life and being and a heart to love him and a desire to serve him. See, if we know Christ, if we have been saved and we've experienced his healing power in our own souls, the forgiveness of sin, every day should be a day where we glorify him, where we are come to him with thanksgiving. So let's learn from this, this story tonight how to respond to God's many blessings. Ultimately, the blessing of salvation. But everything else he blesses us with as well. Um, we should join him in glorifying God at the feet of Jesus with thankful hearts. Let me close this word of prayer and then I wrote out some discussion questions there and uh, we'll spend a couple minutes discussing those around our tables. Father, we thank you for our study tonight. Lord, thank you that you have blessed us in incredible ways, many blessings, um, far more than we could even name or number. And yet, Lord, we know that so many times we just forget. We grow callous. We, we just take things for granted. And Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would be repentful of that kind of an attitude, that we'd be willing to really return to you and to spend time at your feet thanking you and even writing out the way that you have blessed us in so many ways. I mean, just the fact that we're here tonight, that we had a car to get here, that we had the ability to walk in here, that we can hear, that we can see, that we can breathe, that our heart is continually pounding, pumping blood through our veins. Lord, all those are your blessings. Help us not to take these for granted. And Lord, if there is one here tonight who's yet to put their faith or trust in you, I pray that they would hear the message in a fresh way. Lord, that you would direct their hearts to Christ and Christ alone, that they would cry out to Christ, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That they would acknowledge their, their sin before a holy God and ask for your forgiveness. Father, we think of our country and we pray for our country. We pray that you would Extend your grace and mercy. It definitely needs it. Pray for our leadership. Lord, they need your help. They, they, need, they need you more than they even realize. And Father, it's hard to watch, but Lord, we pray that your plan, your purpose will be carried out. And Father, we pray that you would affect change in the hearts of those people in, in leadership. And Father, we pray for our own community here, Redwood City. We pray that you would affect change in the hearts of people here. That they could come and hear the truth and have a desire to know more about you and to come into a personal relationship with you. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We ask 
your blessing on our time of discussion tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.